Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, you're listening to 5-Minute Folklore with me, Bob Shoy. I've been wanting to do an episode about vampires for a while, but there are so many different vampire mythologies all over the world that I was finding it hard to choose one. So I've chosen two. So this episode and the next one will look at prominent vampire folklores from two different continents. On this episode, I'll be talking about the Strigoi, the inspiration behind the most famous vampire of them all, Count Dracula, who I will talk about later in this episode. Strigoi stories are popular in much of Eastern Europe, but especially Romania, so most of my research has been based on that. But first, I'm going to tell a story of the first real-life case of someone being described as a vampire in historical records. A story from Croatia about a man named Jure Grando. Here's this episode's five-minute folklore. Long ago... In 1656, in the part of Europe now known as Croatia, on the peninsula of Istria, in a small village named Kringer, in a small home, a man named Eurogrando died. He had finally succumbed to an illness and was buried by a priest named Giorgio. Shortly after, the knocking started. In the night, villagers began to hear knocks on their doors. Every home that heard a knock had a death within it in the next few days. Fear began to spread throughout the village. Eurogrando's widow visited the priest. My husband does not rest, she told him. Every night he visits me in my bedroom. He's not truly living. I can see this from his rotting flesh. He gasps for breath, yet smiles in a ghastly manner. He attacks me. He insists I'm still his wife. The priest was speechless, horrified. He comforted the poor widow and attempted to fathom the shocking tale. I am a man of faith. He began in an attempt to make reason of the information. I do not know what kind of wicked force could cause this to be so. A realization dawned on him. The knocking. 
It's him. He has fouled our peaceful village. For the next 16 years, the village lived in fear. Yure Grando would sometimes be spotted roaming the streets, occasionally carrying a dead animal. Eventually, Giorgio the priest gained the courage to confront the creature. I must stop him. With God on my side, I must stop him. He stayed with the widow and finally came face to face with the walking corpse of Urogrando. Shaking with fear, but with the confidence of his faith within him, he held out his cross and exclaimed, Behold Jesus Christ, you Strigoi! Stop tormenting us! The creature stepped back. Tears emerged from its eyes. It retreated and fled into the night. Now's our chance to end this, Giorgio declared. He gave chase, but did not find the beast. The following day, he explained to the village mayor, Miho Radicic, what had happened. I had an effect on him. He can be stopped, Giorgio told him. That night, Miho, along with some other brave souls from the village, entered the cemetery with the intention to confront Eurogrando and kill him. He appeared before them, and many of the men fled in terror, but Miho himself charged the creature. He wielded a hawthorn stick. He lunged at Yuri and struck his chest with it, but the stick bounced right off, and Yuri escaped. The following night, they attempted again, this time with Giorgio alongside them nine men in total. They went straight to the source, the burial place of Eurogrando, and dug up his coffin. They opened it up to see him lying there, a sickening smile upon his face. The men all held out crosses, and the priest once again asserted the power of God towards what was left of Yuri. Look, Strigoi, there is Jesus Christ who saved us from hell and died for us. And you, Strigoi, you cannot have peace. Tears in the eyes of Yure again. Miho plunged the hawthorn stick to its chest, but again it would not pierce. Giorgio continued exorcism prayers. The men clutched their crosses strongly and with conviction, until one of them, a man named Stepan Milasik, grabbed a saw and hacked at the corpse's head. As soon as the flesh on the neck tore, blood gushed from the wound. Yure's eyes opened wide in shock, and a sound escaped his mouth. The men stepped back in terror, and Stepan continued to soar. The coffin filled with blood, and Yure's body was submerged in it, motionless. The men, known after as the Honourable Nine, closed the coffin and reburied it, and peace was restored to Kringer.
I hope you enjoyed that story. The village of Kringer, where the events occurred, now enjoys the tourism that has stemmed from it and even has its own vampire-themed bar. But it isn't the only place where real vampires have been documented. One other example being a Serbian man named Peter Blagojevic, who died in 1725, but after rose from the grave to haunt his own son. He asked his son for food, who refused, and so Peter proceeded to brutally murder him. I'll be telling another very famous story later in this episode, but first I'm going to talk about what a Strigoi is and the many superstitions surrounding it. The name Strigoi is commonly thought to come from the Romanian striga, meaning scream, but could also have a link to the Italian strega, meaning witch. The legends originate in Romania and only later became what we think of as a vampire today, with original Strigoi having much more monstrous depictions, very different to more modern ones of vampires having a seductive quality. Original Strigoi ideas are of it being more of an evil spirit, sometimes referred to as a night walker possibly similar to a poltergeist, or when taking on a solid form, even what we would now think of as a zombie, with many stories describing decaying flesh. Concepts of zombies, vampires, ghosts, and even werewolves could all have a root in the idea of the Strigoi. In some versions of Strigoi myths, it is said that the spirit goes through a few changes in state after death. First, it's similar to a poltergeist. It is invisible, visits its family, moves items and furniture, and steals food. It then may become visible, attempting to communicate, begging for food, and bringing disease. Eventually, it will begin feeding on humans and sucking blood, but it must regularly return to its grave. There are many conflicting ideas surrounding what Strigoi is, does, and is vulnerable to, and I'm going to attempt to present a large variety of them on this episode, but you may have come across some other variations yourself. Not only is it possible to become a Strigoi after death, you can also be born a Strigoi. Many believe that there are two types of Strigoi. Living Strigoi with magical abilities and dead Strigoi with the ability to rise from the grave. Living Strigoi are similar to witches and have the power to control other Strigoi. They drink blood and are sometimes thought to have two hearts, two souls or both. Dead Strigoi are reanimated corpses. They have no soul and attack their own families and possibly other living people, and suck their blood. Throughout the various superstitions, there are many abilities that a Strigoi is said to possess. Common ones being immortality, invisibility, and the classic vampire trait of draining one's vitality through the consumption of their blood, often through biting their neck. Psychic vampirism is also sometimes described. Close proximity allows a draining of life force, 
causing depression and tiredness. Strigoi also have the ability to transform into animals, often barn owls, bats, rats, cats, wolves, dogs, snakes, toads, lizards, spiders and insects, though some of those are disputed, especially, surprisingly, bats. A female Strigoi may also transform herself into an irresistible form to allure and seduce men, before later devouring them. So how is a Strigoi created? There are many, many ideas, but folklorist Theodore Barada stated in 1882 in the book Dantonile Popurale Roman La Immormentari that they could be created under the following particular conditions. They are the seventh child of the same sex in a family. They have led a life of sin and they have died without being married by one of three methods. One, execution for perjury. Two, suicide or three, having been cursed by a witch. I also have a list here from hostelcluge.com describing some other superstitions that someone may be a strigoi. People with a tail or extra vertebrae are clearly nightwalkers. Unbaptized children are considered very high risk. Anyone sleeping outside on the 30th of November should be given a wide berth. Those with a red nose may be partly evil, or they may just be cold, beware either way. Men or women with early signs of balding hair should be watched very closely. Anyone not eating garlic is almost definitely a night walker. Never trust a non-garlic eater under any condition. Anyone who dies of unnatural causes is likely to return to cause trouble. If an animal crosses underneath the bed of a sick person or someone who has recently died, then that person is likely to become a nightwalker. The animal, on the other hand, is probably safe enough. People who are afraid of incense exhibit suspicious behaviour, but they may also have allergies. Better to not take the risk, though. Strigoi have a number of vulnerabilities, and like some of the earlier details, it's hard to pin down a definitive list as there are so many versions, many conflicting. Some of the more common ones are incense, salt rituals, holy water, biblical verses, and the one I came across most of all, garlic. Nearly all of my research included a mention of Strigoi's aversion to garlic. A few others that I found which seemed extremely specific were... They are unable to cross the threshold of a church marked with a cross made of pig bone on Easter Sunday. And they can be warded off by a silver coin dipped in blood previously consumed by a striga and wrapped in cloth. One famous weakness which is usually attributed to general vampires but I did see in some places describing strigoi is their obsessive compulsive tendencies. So, if one's after you, one way to delay them is to throw down a piece of clothing on the ground so that they have to stop to fold it up properly. 
or to throw down rice, money or beads as they will not be able to resist stopping to count it all. The first thing that comes to my mind when it comes to stopping a vampire for good is the classic wooden stake through the heart, but this may be more of a modern idea that was lost in translation. According to some sources, the purpose of the stake was to drive through the body into the wood behind it and pin it in place to stop the creature from leaving its coffin. Another method is to lay a number of heavy stones on top of it. Some superstitions also say that piercing its skin with a needle also prevents it from leaving its grave. Another prevalent weakness from my research was fire. Unless burned, the Strigoi may regenerate, so the best method would be to hack it up into many pieces before burning them all. I have one more rather elaborate method for killing a Strigoi that I found on the forums for unexplainedmysteries.com from the user Mongo Magnificent, which I'll read from there now. One gypsy remedy for killing a Strigoi is as follows. Dig up the vampire corpse, remove its heart or hearts, and cut the organ in two. Drive a nail into the forehead, place a clove of garlic under the tongue, and smear the body with the fat of a pig killed on St. Ignatius's day. Turn the body face down in the coffin. The influence the Strigoi has had on culture is huge. When Irish author Bram Stoker set out to write his famous 1897 novel, Dracula, he originally intended for it to be set in Austria, but after doing a little research and coming across Strigoi legends, he decided to use some of those ideas and set the book in Romania instead. When researching Romania, he learned of a particularly barbaric ruler from Transylvania named Vlad Tepes, otherwise known as Vlad the Impaler, or Dracula, which was a nickname he received meaning dragon due to his fearsome nature. Stoker took elements of Strigoi superstitions and mixed them with the legends of Vlad, and thus, from this resulting novel, the modern idea of the vampire was born. The popularity of the Dracula vampire idea transformed what many people thought of Strigoi from that point on. As a part of my other podcast, Weird Tales and the Unexplainable, I travelled to Transylvania with my co-hosts a few years ago to experience some vampire culture for myself. And although we didn't come across any vampires in person, we did enjoy the beautiful scenery and visiting Bran Castle, the descriptions of which provided Stoker with the inspiration for Dracula's home. It also led me to investigate many different versions of the Dracula story that have stemmed from Stoker's novel. So for this episode, I've decided to do a retelling of it on my own. I am now going to tell a condensed version I've put together of the opening chapters of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Jonathan Harker, a solicitor from England, travels to Transylvania to discuss a property deal with the wealthy nobleman, Count Dracula. He keeps a journal of his travels. 
Upon arriving in Romania, he stops for the night at an inn, where he samples the local foods and receives a letter from the Count, welcoming him to the region and informing him of a carriage which will collect him the following day to take him the rest of the way. Before leaving the inn in the morning, the innkeeper's wife approaches him, places a crucifix around his neck and tells him, Tomorrow is the day when all evil things in the world will have full sway. Harker is slightly shaken by the exchange, but continues his journey regardless. As he leaves the inn, he overhears some patrons using the unfamiliar term vampire, while stealing glances in his direction. He goes to the location described in the Count's letter and awaits his transport. A small, horse-drawn carriage approaches, and Harker tentatively climbs aboard. The journey is eerie, and by the time they arrive at their destination, Harker is quite spooked. Along the way, the landscape seemed to repeat. The sound of wolves could be heard, and Harker witnessed what looked like multiple strange blue flames, which his peculiar driver took a particular interest in. He is left alone at the entrance to a grand, but somewhat ruined and ominous castle. After a long wait, a tall, old man, dressed in black, with a large white moustache, emerges from within and greets Jonathan. You must be Mr. Harker. Welcome to my castle. I am Dracula. He reaches out and shakes Jonathan's hand. His grip is firm and cold. Harker also notes his extremely pale skin, slightly pointed ears, and remarkably sharp teeth, and is filled with unease. Despite all this, he finds the Count's manner warm and charming. Come, we have much to discuss. I have prepared a meal and a warm fire. The Count ushers him inside. The next day, Harker is left alone in the castle and explores a little, noticing all the finery within, but also the fact that there are no mirrors to be found. Dracula joins him for dinner, and they discuss the property deal, as well as the legends and superstitions of the local area. Yes, there are many evil spirits in Transylvania, Mr. Harker. They talk long into the night, and as daybreak approaches, the Count makes excuses and quickly leaves. The following day, Jonathan Harker is shaving with the aid of a small travel mirror. Dracula enters the room and Harker is startled by him, causing him to cut himself slightly. He realises that the reason for his surprise was due to no reflection being cast by Dracula. As soon as blood appears from the cut on Harker's throat, the Count lunges toward him, but recoils when his hand comes into contact with the crucifix around Jonathan's neck. Harker is shocked, and Dracula grabs a hold of his shaving mirror, warns him, You should have been more careful, Mr. Harker, and casts the mirror out of the window before leaving. Rattled by the whole experience, Harker explores the castle again, finding every door locked, and realising he is a prisoner. Now scared by his host, Harker attempts to appear calm when they meet that evening. Over dinner, the Count tells him, 
I have made arrangements for you to stay for the month, Mr. Harker. Although I must insist, you only ever sleep in the room that I have had prepared for you. With no choice, Harker agrees, before excusing himself to his room for the night, where he hangs his crucifix over his bed. Later in the night, he looks from his window to see the Count crawling up the castle walls. He wonders how he will ever escape this nightmare. A few evenings later, Harker forces one of the locked doors open to find three beautiful women and is overtaken with lust. They move toward him, exposing sharp teeth from blood-red lips. One leans her mouth to contact Harker's neck. But as it does, Dracula appears and scolds them. When I am done with him, you shall kiss him at your will. He hands them a bag. I know you're disappointed, but please accept this. There is a small child within. It is half smothered. As he hears these words, Harker's consciousness fades. And when he awakes, he is unsure if the previous events had been real or a dream. A few days later, Dracula gives Harker an order. You will write letters to your fiancé and employer, informing them that you have left the castle and are on your way home. Harker agrees, and while writing these letters, he hears a group of gypsies arrive at the castle. Through the bars of his window, he talks to one and requests that she take a secret letter from him to send to his fiancée, Mina Murray. That evening, Dracula approaches Harker with his secret letter in hand. Mr. Harker, this letter is a vile outrage upon my friendship and hospitality. The Count then burns it in front of him. Weeks later, Harker sees the gypsies again, delivering large wooden boxes to the castle. He notices that some of his clothes are missing, and that evening witnesses Dracula wearing them. Once again crawling along the walls of the castle, he is holding a bag, similar to the one he gave the three women weeks before. Harker realises that it wasn't a dream, and that the Count is undertaking unspeakable acts. Shortly after, a woman approaches the castle, wailing for a missing child. She is torn apart by wolves. Later, Harker climbs down a castle wall to a part of the residence he has not explored before. He finds a passage and follows it to a room full of boxes, the ones delivered by the gypsies. He opens one and finds Dracula laying within it. Unsure whether the Count is dead or asleep, Harker flees back to his room in terror. Eventually, after weeks of imprisonment, Dracula tells Jonathan, Mr. Harker, you may leave tomorrow. But Jonathan requests to leave today instead. The Count opens the castle door and motions toward it. Then leave now, if you wish. Jonathan runs out the door to be confronted by a snarling pack of wolves. He returns to his room. That night, he overhears voices and opens the door to his room slightly. He sees Dracula talking to the three irresistible women that Jonathan had previously encountered. Tonight is mine. Tomorrow night is yours. Dracula tells them. 
Harker retreats back into his room and prays. In the early hours of the morning, Harker scales the wall again, returns to the passage he had found, and back to the room with the boxes. He opens the same box he had before, and again sees the Count within. His appearance is more youthful, and there is a small trail of blood running from the corner of his mouth. Harker picks up a nearby shovel, and in an attempt to slay the Count, plunges it towards him. It connects to his forehead, but brushes off, doing no damage at all. Harker flees the room. He takes some of the Count's gold and decides to make a final attempt at escape by climbing down the castle walls. Before he does so, he makes a final entry in his journal. It reads, Goodbye all, Mina. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Vampire and Strigoi superstitions continue today, especially in Romania. Apologies for reading this next paragraph from Wikipedia, but I did find it particularly interesting if it's true. Before Christmas 2003, in the village of Maritinu de Sus, a 76-year-old Romanian man named Petra Toma died. In February 2004, a niece of the deceased revealed that she had been visited by her late uncle, Georgia Marinescu, a brother-in-law, became the leader of a vampire hunting group made up of several family members. After drinking some alcohol, they dug up the coffin of Petra Toma, made an incision in his chest and tore the heart out. After removal of the heart, the body was burned and the ashes mixed in water and drunk by the family, as is customary. 
However, the Romanian government, anxious to maintain a good image in preparation for the country's accession to the European Union, had banned this practice, and six family members were arrested by the police of Craiova from Dolge County for disturbing the peace of the dead, and were imprisoned and sentenced to pay damages to the family of the deceased. The six who exhumed the body were charged and sentenced to six months' time served. Since then, in the nearby village of Amarasti de Sus, people drive a fire-hardened stake through the heart or belly of the dead as a preventative. I should really start wrapping up the show now as it's been a particularly long one, but when covering a topic as meaty as this, I wanted to include as much as I could. Thanks to Rick Dove and Rebecca Chapman, as always, for helping out and providing voices. If you want to get in contact with me, you can do so via email at 5minutefolklore at gmail.com or through the website 5minutefolklore.com, where you can also find ways to support the podcast, as well as links to the various social media accounts. You can find me personally on Twitter at at Bobshoy, that's at B-O-B-S-H-O-Y. You can support my time editing and researching my various podcasts at patreon.com slash bobshoy. And you can buy bonus five-minute folklore extra episodes at bobshoy.bandcamp.com. Thanks so much to those of you who have bought some of those episodes already. I hope you've enjoyed them. Music on this episode. Under the first story, you heard The Brides from Wojciech Kilar's score from the 1992 film Bram Stoker's Dracula. There was also a brief section of the end credits music from that score. Under the Dracula story retelling was a section of the soundtrack from the game concept P.T. by Ludwig Forsell. Also throughout the episode, you've heard sections of the song Isle of Croatia by Derek and Brandon Fichte, a traditional Croatian tune by Fabier from YouTube, a section of the score by Bruno Nicolai from the 1970 Count Dracula film, and the main theme from 1922's Nosferatu by Hans Erdmann. The next episode will also be about vampires, but from a completely different continent, and I'm really looking forward to researching that one some more, and I hope you look forward to hearing it. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and now to play us out is the theme from the classic 1986 video game Castlevania. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.